Hello, friends. Jesse here with a special informative episode of Mental Radio on how to access mental health service if you, mental health services if you're poor. What do you do? How do you start? Um, what if you're poor? You're working, but you don't have enough money uh, for therapy. Where do you go? What kind of programs are out there? Um, or maybe you have a disabling condition. How do you get on disability um, and apply for Medicare? Um, what are the differences between Medicare, Medicaid, SSI, SSDI, um, SNAP benefits, EBT, Section 8? I mean, it's a lot of stuff. Um, so if you're looking for like some light listening while you're folding the laundry or taking a drive, this is not that podcast. Um, this is an informative podcast with some information that if I had, if I could like had a time machine and I could send this podcast back in time, it would have saved me several years and definitely would have accelerated, um, my recovery. But the way the mental health system works, um, uh, you know, the, the, the social services kind of free, um, mental health system is really complicated. It's this really annoying bureaucracy that is not easy to navigate, uh, especially if you don't know how it works. So I want to give people a layup um, and and explain just what the different options are. And I'll create a few different scenarios um, of people who might be able to relate uh, to situations where, you know, they might need help. Um, like if you're a person who's been sick for a long time, um, and can't work, I'm going to have some options. If you're a person who is poor and working, um, but still can't afford therapy, I'm going to give you some options. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to say this is an end all be all guide. It is not. I'm sure there's going to be social workers that are going to say, oh, you know what? Um, you forgot this and that, and in this situation, you can apply for this special program. I'm not trying to do all of that. I'm trying to give people just the basic in and outs of what these different terms are, of what the different, um, of what the the different um, entitlements are that that you can get and who they're for, and just basically how the application process works, right? Um, general general information. Um, if you're able to access a social worker in your town, they're going to be able to give you other information. Um, this is for people in America who, you know, who don't have a bunch of money, who are seriously affected by mental illness, um, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, uh, borderline, so on and so forth to the place where they don't have, you know, they, their, their finances are affected and they need some, some support. None of it is super easy is the bad news, but the good news is that there is some support out there. Um, and you do have to fight for it, but it's possible. And if you can get it, it makes a difference. So it's worth applying for because, um, you're entitled to it. This is what our taxes pay for. And yes, the system should be better, but you should get the support that you are entitled to, which is why they're called entitlements. If you're somebody out there who's really struggling and cannot work, uh, enough to make, uh, a living, you should have at least the basic basics covered um, so you can, you know, concentrate on your recovery and figure out how to get better, um, whatever that means to you. So the first program I'm going to talk about is Medicaid. 
because Medicaid is a program that regardless if you are working and you're working a little bit or you're totally disabled, um, you can apply for. Medicaid doesn't um, exclude you from anything else. It just is a basic state-run health insurance that is different depending on what your state uh, what your state provides. So I'm here in Washington State. I apply for you can I can apply for a state-sponsored Washington State Medicaid. Okay. Um, and the state Medicaid here in Washington is especially good. It pays for naturopathy. It'll help pay for community clinics. Some individual therapists will take it. Um, and the good thing about Medicaid is that the applications in general um, are pretty fast. I don't know exactly now in the middle of COVID, but it's faster than any other program. So if you're sick and you don't know where to start and you don't have health insurance, my suggestion to you is just apply to Medicaid. Just start there. And you can start there by um, Googling Medicaid and then type your state. Um, type Medicaid application, Oregon. Medicaid application, New Jersey. Whatever it is, wherever you live, look up Medicaid application, wherever. And that's a good starting point. you know. So again, if you're... Working very part-time, um, if you uh, can't work at all, it's a starting place to get you some basic insurance that can help you access mental health services. Um, and yeah, it, 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 Medicaid can also help you with in-home care if that's something you need, but that's probably a subject of a whole different video. Um, I was so sick at a point that uh, I did require Medicaid for in-home care. Um, but yeah, just so you know, Medicaid will also cover things like in-home care and nursing homes. And that is how uh, you access those things. There's a lot of nuance to that world that I'm not going to get into. So we hear Medicaid. Um, the next thing I'm going to cover is Medicare. Medicaid, Medicare. Why are these things... Uh, why do they sound so similar? I have no idea why they sound so similar. I don't know why they named these two different things so similarly that people mistake them for each other. No one knows what they are. Medicaid, Medicare. Medicaid is state. Medicare is federal. Medicaid is state. Medicare is federal. Um, Medicare is the uh, insurance that old folks, seniors, in our country get. So if you know anybody over the age of 65, they probably have Medicare. And Medicare is a much more expansive um, health insurance than Medicaid. It will pay for the hospital. It will pay for surgery, um, you know, supplemental um supplemental insurances will help associated with Medicare will help with drugs. Uh, Medicare in general just covers the doctor. Um, and m in my experience, more therapists will cover Medicare than Medicaid. But again, your mileage may vary uh, depending on where you are. But if you want to see who takes what, just as a starting point, you can go to psychologytoday.com, look up your zip code, and you can search by Medicare, Medicaid um, right there. The, the therapists out there and the mental health workers out there 
uh, who are taking Medicare and Medicaid in private practice are very good people. They don't have to take it. They take it because they want to support poor people. They take a uh, they take a hit every time uh, they take a Medicare or Medicaid uh, client on. In general, they they don't make as much money as they would otherwise. So. But we're in a field where there's a lot of empathic people who want to make a difference and want to help people. So that said, there are people who are out there. It's not everybody, but there are therapists out there. So getting on Medicaid to start, your state insurance, and then applying for your Medicare, uh, which is a long, you know, a, bit, a better insurance, um, is kind of the way to start. How do you apply for Medicare? Well, I'm going to get into... Um, the next portion, before I tell you how to apply to, for Medicare, because you apply for Medicare and the next entitlement at the same time in general, which is SSDI, and that is um, disability. You know, when people say disability payments, what they generally mean is SSDI. And how SSDI works is uh, it's kind of like a forced uh, savings account um, that the federal government makes you pay in case you get sick. So if you have uh, if you have worked for, I don't know, uh, 10, 20 years, you may have uh, 10, 20, 30 thousand um, dollars in your SSDI allotment that you have already paid into. It is your money. If you have worked for a long time, you should get your SSDI if you are unable to work due to an illness, just straight up. like it's you it's literally your money. So, You've paid into it. It's set aside for you. If you can't work, you should get it. So how do you apply for that? Why aren't you telling me how to apply? Well, because you apply for SSDI and Medicare at the same time. Um, and this is like what people generally refer to when they are talking about um, applying for disability. Um, so how does that work? Well, the first step in applying for disability, which means you're applying for Medicare and SSDI, um, it might also include some other services depending on who's uh, helping you with it. But the first thing that you do is apply and you get denied. Across the board, everybody I've talked to uh, in every hospital will tell you that as soon as you get sick and you think you might not be able to go to work, the first thing you need to do is apply for Medicare and SSDI get that letter of rejection, and then you can hire an advocate and start um, making progress to get your actual uh, insurance and your disability payments. So um, I'll back up just to say that again, because it's a really wonky thing. Like our system is set up, our disability system is set up that most people, when they get disabled, you have to apply and get rejected and then make an appeal. That's just how the system works. It's it's wacky if you, you know it should be that you get sick uh, a doctor says you're sick and then you get your payment like why wouldn't you do that um, but that's just not how our system here is set up in America the way it's set up is you get sick you apply uh, after you uh, apply you get rejected and then you hire an advocate and the advocate gets you the money that's just how, for everybody that I know, that's how it's worked. Um, can you do it on your own? I'm not sure. I'm sure it's happened. Um, but I've also heard of people like doing, you know, apl uh, applying for disability for 10 years. They're on their own, not getting it, and then just kind of being stuck in limbo, which 
is not uh, is not anything I know about and not something I would suggest. Um, a lot of people I've talked to, they say, well, how do I get an advocate? Like, how do I get a lawyer? I can't afford a lawyer. You don't pay for the lawyer. Um, you don't, there's no money involved that you have to lay out up front to get uh, a disability lawyer to help you get uh, your entitlements. How it works, like, so what I said, you know, you, you the, the SSDI, it's like a forced savings account that the federal government makes you pay into. So if I apply for disability right now and it takes me two years to get the uh, approval, the federal government will say, okay, we owe you the SSDI that you've already paid into for the back two years. And that might be like a, a, a real chunk of change, $10,000, $20,000, depending on how much you've paid into it and the calculation they come up with. The lawyer will get a percentage of that. Generally, what I've heard is that the standard rate is is a thirty percent or thirty three percent, something like that. It's a big chunk of change for them, but at the same time, that's just how it works. Um, and disability advocate lawyers are so set up. The good thing about it is that you know if you're sick with a mental illness, there is a very good chance that you are not in the best shape. And, you know, and can't get all of the paperwork together and can't talk to the doctor and can't do all of the things that are required for these like ridiculously long applications and appeals, right? The lawyer knows how to do that. The lawyer will talk to your doctors. The lawyer will go back and forth and make sure you have the right paperwork for your appeal. Um, so that's worth a ton of money in my experience. Um, and it just, it takes the load off of you so you can concentrate on surviving and getting better. So that's how a lawyer works. Um, they, they take a chunk and they advocate for you and they get the paperwork together. And I think it is totally worth it. Um, but what do you do in the meantime, right? Like, okay, you apply, you're in really, you're not doing good. You need help. Can you get help right away? In general, yes. Um, if you're online a lot, you've probably seen that mental health care, you know, a lot of complaints that it's not accessible, that you can't get it, that's really hard. And a lot of that is true, but it really isn't a reason to give up. Um, I help people all the time find services, and usually there's way more than you would think. Um, depending on where you are. But unless you're in like the smallest of towns, there's usually some kind of community clinic or sliding scale clinic or therapist that's out there that'll work with you. So what do you do? You're waiting in the meantime or you just want to see what options are available that's uh, that are approachable, that are affordable. The first thing that I would do is Google your neck of the woods, your town, and look up sliding scale clinics. In general, like in Seattle, we have dozens. I don't know if we have dozens of them, but we have several really good ones. And in a sliding scale clinic, you're probably working with somebody who's still getting their training um, as a therapist, but you pay what you want in general. And the sliding scales are different. It might be $5 to $50. It might be $20 to $100. They're all different. But I've had some amazing... Uh, therapists who are still novices, 
um, at sliding scale clinics that really provided a crucial support for me when, um, when I really needed it and I didn't have any money and I didn't have, uh, I didn't have the resources to do anything else. Uh, shout out to, uh, Access Institute of San Francisco specifically. They were, they were, uh, just remarkable. Seattle Counseling Center here in Seattle does a really amazing work. Um, and you're not paying a ton of money. It might be some money. You might have to ask somebody around you for to cover it. But in general, there are sliding scale clinics around you. There's also schools that teach psychology themselves. So um, that's another place to look. A lot of uh, psych schools will have clinics inside of the school, like the University of Oregon. You're not at University of Oregon. I'm sorry. This uh, uh, Portland State has their own clinic. So they have students working there and you can walk in and just have somebody to talk to who's trained. Um, a lot of people I talk to, they say, oh, I don't want someone who's just out of school or in school. Why would I want to do that? And I say, look, listen, look, obviously, just like anybody, everybody who's training is not going to be great. But there are a lot of people who are in school who are older, who have been around the world a couple of times, who have uh, had other careers that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe even 60s, who have solid training, uh, who know how to listen and just be there for people and get people on the right path. And if you can't afford anything or very little, it's really a solid place to start. And the good thing about uh, a school or a community clinic is that there's a lot of therapists around. And if, if something is not working out, I don't want to say every single clinic, but in general, you might be able to get another clinician because you're registered with the place and there's a lot of people. So that's one advantage. I've had really good luck. I know not everybody has good luck, but it's worth trying. Um, even if you have all of the money in the world, you're not guaranteed to have you know a slam dunk relationship uh, with a therapist that's been in business for 30 years. Um, and I, I, for me, I find the same thing with, with novices. When I was really at my worst, I really just needed somebody to help me hold on and to listen and to just start that process of therapy. So uh, I really encourage people to check out sliding scale clinics and check out uh, their schools. Um, the other thing that I'll say in general as what to do uh, is to look for advocacy organizations who are local to you because so much of finding the support that you need is on the local level. Um, so it might be a Facebook group of, of caretakers. It might be a Facebook group of people with chronic illnesses. It might be, um, it might be a local NAMI organization uh, in your town. Just connect with them and talk, I would just talk to other people who have been through it. Support groups can be great. Even if you don't like support groups, going to support groups can be great just to be like, oh, we're in the same town. Where do I get a therapist? And somebody will say, oh, you know what? My therapist has a whole day where they do low income sliding scale. Um, and they're really good. And they have been in uh, business for 30 years. Or they'll say, oh, you know, there's this local church organization that helps people with errands um, who are dealing with mental illness. And sometimes a lot of that research is done on the ground, talking to other patients and other caretakers. So um, 
I definitely, definitely uh, recommend um, doing that. Um, something I, I wanted to say at the beginning that I forgot to say is that, yeah, the caretaker piece, this video is probably maybe even best for caretakers. So if you're listening to this and you're somebody who's struggling and you've gotten this far in the video and you're like, oh my God, how can I apply for any of these things? Please send this video to somebody, uh, to, to somebody who can help you with paperwork or somebody who could help you fill things out um, to somebody who can help you with phone calls because that can be really, really crucial and hopefully they can help you do all of these things. Um, what else? The other benefit is Snap, EBT. That is something um, that you can apply for directly. It's also can be combined with other applications. So um, Snap benefits, from what I understand, I think the maximum for a single person is $190, something in that, in that range. Um, and that's something that can be applied for as well. Also something that helps very much to have somebody help you with that paperwork, especially if you're not in great shape. But yeah, if you don't, don't have an income, another way just to get a little bit of boost for your monthly finances is SNAP benefits. And um, yeah, SNAP benefits, it's just a card. It looks like a credit card. And you can use it at any grocery store to get some groceries. Um, generally, whatever you want, whatever you need. Um, that's food. You know, uh, they say no prepared food, but I know in general, like if it's a prepared food from the grocery store that you put in the microwave, um, even if it's like from the deli, the snap will still pay for it. In general, anything that you eat, uh, it will pay for not restaurants or anything like that, but the grocery store, um, that's food. They'll pay for it. They won't pay for like napkins or like cleaning supplies, stuff like that. But, uh, food, it's a good way. Uh, that's just another avenue. Um, and I'll say another thing to look for is an advocate that might not, that might be somebody who's a social worker who might be able to help you. Um, uh, who's not like a family friend who doesn't know this world. I was able to access more benefits even after I was, um, I, I got on all of these entitlements that I'm talking about. Uh, I had somebody who was a, uh, a social worker who sold insurance. They're an insurance salesman that just like gave a day of their week to help people who were disabled manage the system because they knew the insurance system. Um, and they helped me open up some other care. There was a point where I was so sick that I needed in-home care and that was very complicated on how to apply for it. And they helped me with that, but they could also help you with other things. So while you're navigating this world and you're talking to new people within the system, whether that's a therapist, whether that's other patients, whether that's caretakers, something that might be a good question is it might be to say something like, do you know any patient advocates, um, who might be able to help me with insurance applications. It's unfortunately not super easy to find that person, but they are around if you ask for it. And if you can find that person, they will. They, they very often will know much more information um, about specific programs and how to maximize benefits for those specific programs. Um. 
lastly, I'll say, or I don't know, I don't know if it's last. I don't know if I'm going to wrap up this video, but uh, exactly. But the next thing I'll say is uh, the hospital. There's also sliding scale hospitals in a lot of places. And um, a lot of people don't know that um, if you think you might have to go to the hospital, and this is something to research that is, it's so much better to research this before you have an emergency. So if you think anytime in the future, maybe you would have to go to the hospital, one really good thing to look up is charity care hospitals, especially if you're low income and you think you might have to go to the hospital, look up charity care hospitals. Charity care hospital is basically like a sliding scale hospital. Um, the way it works is there's a lot of nonprofit hospitals and in order for them to like get out of tax obligations, they say, oh, well, you know, we give, we give discounts to poor people. Depending on the hospital, if you're making under like 30 grand, 50 grand, um, you pay zero. So if you think you have to go to the hospital because you have, you have, uh, you know, acute, uh, suicidality or something, um, a sliding scale hospital, a nonprofit hospital, very often you will pay zero. And that is such a relief. There's like so much on social media. We see, oh, somebody gave me a bill for like a million dollars and now I'm going to be bankrupt. That's generally private hospitals. And a lot of times people just don't know how to work the system. I'm not saying nobody ever gets stuck with medical debt. I'm certainly not saying that. But I will say that the majority of hospitals, in my experience, here in, around, in and around Seattle, they have worked with me. And I have gotten out of tens of thousands of dollars of, uh, of hospital bills from nonprofit hospitals because I was disabled. And it required filling out applications and showing my income, showing my taxes, but uh, I've been able to get on charity care programs that because I was disabled and not working, I paid nothing. So it's way better to do that if you think you might have to go instead of like you're like already in a crisis point and you don't know what hospital to go to. Um, something I encourage everybody to do who struggles with mental illness is to have a, uh, a an emergency plan of what happens, or what you do, and where you go, if you, uh, if you, if if you are in acute, acutely suicidal state, um, including which hospital to go to, and you can figure that out by talking to your therapist, um, and by researching different hospitals and seeing what charity care programs are available. I'm not saying that's the only thing to look at, but. It's a starting point, especially if you're the kind of person who might not, or if you're in a position where you might not want to go to the hospital um, because it's going to cost too much money. If that's going to be a big barrier for you, check it out, do the research, um, figure it out, and there may be more resources for you uh, than you think. So how long was that? Almost a half an hour. I thought this was going to take an hour. Um, please let me know if you have any questions. Um, I do. Uh, I do do consulting around this stuff just to kind of help people get started. Um, again, we talked about Medicaid. That's kind of the state insurance for poor people as well as disabled people who are totally disabled. Medicare SSDI. That's your disability package that you apply for. That you apply, you get the rejection, uh, then you go to a lawyer and they help you fill out all of the things to help you get on. 
Um, oh, the one thing we didn't talk about is SSI. So after, so we talked about SSDI. The SSDI, right? Um, that's that forced kind of savings account by the federal government. When that runs out, which that'll eventually run out, if you're sick for a long time, then you get on the regular SSI that like the like our old folks are on, our our seniors, our 65. Is is old folks a pejorative? I'm not sure, but um, you go on that SSI after that, and uh, and then you make uh, and then and then you're on that, and that is not enough money to live on. They do call it supplemental income uh, for a reason. Uh, but it's something and something when you're broke is a heck of a lot better than nothing. Um, we talked about snap EBT that's your food, uh, benefit that is also through the state. Um, very often that is part of the Medicaid application as well. Um, that's how it is in Washington. I don't know if that's true for everybody. Um, oh, and section eight is another thing that I didn't talk about. Section eight. Uh, is public housing. It's also wild. That one varies wildly depending on the city you're in. Um, and a lot of Section 8 benefits for public housing will open up as you apply and are accepted for these other programs. The standards are going to be different all over the place from what I, from, I'm pretty sure they're going to be different. Uh, wh- you know, what's available, um, what the standards are, all going to be different depending on where you live. But um, Section 8, depending on where you are, can be okay. The problem with Section 8 is that there's not enough of it and the wait lists are very long. But, you know, say you are living with someone in an uncomfortable situation or you are homeless or you're just, like, running out of money, um, it's a good thing that if you think you might need it just to apply for and then if in two years you might have options, just get on a wait list. Just start the process. So much about this is start the process. Um, and that's really that's really the mindset you need to go into. You know, you, if you try to like figure everything out for the future right now, you're not going to be able to. There's too many moving parts. The best thing you can do is just apply, 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 apply. Just start filling out the applications. Do not wait because a lot of this stuff, it takes time. Um, because of COVID, a lot of the social resources, uh, are, are stretched. The people who are approving the applications are stretched. Everything is stretched. So just start the applications now. And, uh, you know, time moves faster than you think it will in a year or two when, uh, the time comes where your benefits are approved you're going to be really grateful that you started when you did and you didn't wait another year because just that wait there's so much waiting time so that's what i got i hope that's helpful for people if you don't know if you didn't know anything coming into this at least now you know something you know a few of these things you know a few of these benefits um, and I'll just say, please, if you're a person who's really struggling and you're unable to work or you're able to work not enough because of a, a mental illness, just apply. You deserve it. These are your entitlements. These entitlements should be so much more robust, so much easier to get. But, you know, in America, we have this just like work, 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 work culture. And we have our own ableism and mental health stigma that like inside of us, a lot of us as patients will say, you know, I can't work, so I don't deserve these entitlements. Look, so the way I see it is that we are all 
citizens of this country. This is a safety net that's required for us to just stay healthy and give us a chance at recovery. And if we can recover, that helps everybody. That helps society. That helps our families. That helps the social services. And, you know, worry about giving back if that's something you want to do at another time. Um, But right now, the first thing that you need to think about is that if you're really struggling and can't work, just get stable, get some of the support that you need, and, uh, and, and start figuring out what works for you to get there. Recovery is not going to be the same for everybody. Some people are going to get all the way better. Some people, they won't. But whatever, whatever that looks like, whatever finding stability, whatever finding a life is for you, these benefits can help with, and you deserve that help. As an American, um, as a person, you deserve the support to figure out how to get stable. So um, do it, you know, and get help to do it. Ask people for help. Ask people. Um, ask ask people for support in, in getting this paperwork done. Um, we all deserve that. And yeah, if I can help you do this, I do do some consulting um, around uh, letting people know what the options are in their mental health uh, worlds, uh, whether that's benefits, whether that's other treatments, whether that's just getting a sounding board. Um, as far as like strategy for trying to help yourself or somebody in your life. So that's what I got. Uh, I hope, um, I hope this is helpful and, uh, yeah, you got me on Twitter at Zookman, Z-O-O-K-M-A-N-N. It's the best place to get me until next time, friends, take care of yourselves. Look out for each other. Zygazant.